Thank you. You may be seated. Always have to give the disclaimer, no, I am not Wayne and I do not do voices. So I am so sorry. I'm sure voices will return next week. Uh, my name is George Hillman and my day job's at Dallas Theological Seminary, but I'm a member here at Frisco Bible and, and I go to the third service. So I introduced myself to the first service because I hear rumors that people go to the first service. And, but so glad to see you. A lot of times I'll see you in passing as well. So, this is Christmas, but just a couple of years ago, uh, this was a year I got roller skates and I got a gerbil, and one of those habit trails. I loved the habit trail thing. Now, you know this week between Christmas and New Year's is when you finally realize that the gifts you got, did they meet your expectations? Now, no embarrassment, how many of you have already returned a Christmas gift? Okay, a couple of you have. We've already gone to three stores, turning back Christmas gifts. Now, there's nothing bad about that. Maybe it was the wrong color. Maybe it was the wrong size. Maybe you got two of the same thing. But sometimes maybe you got a gift and you just really weren't into it. And sometimes you get a gift, you play with it for a week, and after about a week you're like, eh, I'm kind of done with it, and you want to take it back. So now, one Christmas, my wife got me the retro Atari 2600. Oh my goodness, all of my junior high dreams came true when I got this. Now, if you've seen one of the new ones, all of the games are already preloaded, there's no more cartridges. I used to play this for days. When I was in junior high, oh my goodness, and some of my favorite games are up there. I already quizzed the tech team on they can name all the games that were up there. But here's the thing. You know what? I played this for about an hour, and I was kind of done. Now, I kept the box because it just gives me warm, fuzzy feelings, and so it sits in my office, but I've not plugged this thing back into my computer since that one Christmas that I got it. Now, because here's the thing, expectations for gifts are sometimes way up here, but then the reality of the gifts is, eh, they're kind of down here, and that's what happens a lot of times during this week after Christmas. But sometimes, sometimes you get a gift that is so unexpected, you get a gift that you did not even see coming, and it just overwhelms you with joy and with wonder. And that's the kind of gift we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to set this up for you is that we're in a timeline right after Christmas. And we're going to look at what happens at the events right after the first Christmas. Now, the book of Luke, Luke, our author, is writing this as an investigative reporter. And so what he's doing is that he's going and talking to eyewitnesses. So he would go and talk to Mary and say, Mary, what was it like at that first Christmas? And Mary tells little tidbits that we don't get in the other Gospels because Luke is writing as an eyewitness. And so he would go talk to the shepherds and he'll go talk to people who were healed. And in all these things, what Luke is trying to do is Luke is trying to establish the credibility of the eyewitnesses because he's an investigative reporter. And he says, everything that I'm going to write to you is true about Jesus and to prove it, these are all credible 
eyewitnesses. And so you're going to see throughout this stories, throughout the book of Luke, where he is talking to eyewitnesses. Now, we're going to introduce two eyewitnesses in just a second. But where we're going to be is that we're going to be eight days after Christmas. Today is eight days after Christmas. So on the eighth day, uh, when eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Now, this name Jesus, that's the Greek version of it, the Hebrew version of it is Joshua, the one who saves salvation. And there's a very important thing about Jesus' name because that is what he's going to do. We read about this in Matthew's account of, of the first Christmas. And this is the angel talking to Joseph. And he says, she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So that's eight days after Christmas. Eight days after Christmas, Jesus is circumcised and Jesus is um, named. Now we're going to be 40 days after Christmas. So a couple more weeks from now, we're going to place ourselves in that story. It says, when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as is written in the law of the Lord, the firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. So Leviticus chapter 12 tells us that 40 days after a male child is born, this ceremony would take place. And normally what would happen is there would be two sacrifices. You would purchase a one-year lamb for the burnt offering, and then you would have a pigeon or a turtle dove as the sin offering. Now, there was provision in Leviticus that says if you were a poor family and you could not afford a lamb, that you could purchase two pigeons or two turtle doves. One would be for the burnt offering and one would be for the sin offering. So right away, I can tell you about Jesus. Jesus was not born to a wealthy family. Jesus was born to a common family. Now, one of the things you're going to think to yourself, now wait a second, there's wise men. How did the wise men and the gifts fit into this? Well, we read about the wise men in Matthew's account of uh, the birth of Jesus. And the wise men come later. Sorry to disrupt your nativity scenes. But the wise men come up to two years later because we know that from the account of what we see in Matthew. We know that the wise men have not shown up in these first 40 days, because if they had shown up, they'd have gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they would have had plenty of money to be able to purchase this one-year lamb. And this is not a surprise. They knew that they were going to have to purchase the lamb. So just a little interesting tidbit uh, that is there. Luke 2, 25 and 26, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. This name Simeon means God hears. It's a common name. We don't know anything about Simeon, and we don't read anything else about him in any of the gospel accounts. 
I don't know if he was a priest. I don't know if he was a common person. I don't know his age. We maybe assume that he's older by what he's going to say a little bit later on, but we know very little about him. But again, remember that Luke is writing this as an investigative reporter, and Simeon is going to be one of the eyewitnesses. And so what Luke does is Luke establishes the credibility of Simeon, and you're going to see four things that are in the description of Simeon. First two, this was a man who was righteous and devout. Righteous. He lived according to the laws that God had established in the Old Testament. But that word devout, it's a very cool word. It actually means he was cautious or he was careful. It's the idea of having something precious in your hands and not wanting to drop it. And so you're being extra careful with it. And so Simeon was a man who was righteous, but he also was very careful about the things of God. He didn't take the things of God lightly. He was righteous and he was devout. But the third thing is that he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Now, who needs consoling? Who needs comfort? Well, somebody who's in pain, somebody who's been disappointed, somebody who's been hurt. In some of your translations, it might say the word comfort, that he was looking forward to Israel's comfort. It is this idea of a mother or a dad picking up their child who's crying, who's hurt, and holding them and giving them comfort. Now, when we ever reread about Israel's comfort or Israel's consolation, it's actually a code word. Of, it goes back to a concept that's found throughout the book of uh, Isaiah. And Simeon's actually pointing back to the book of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66, where it talks about that there's going to become a day when God himself, through his Messiah, is going to come and comfort his people. Because the world's messed up, the world's broken, and they need to be comforted. They need to be held just like a father or just like a mother. Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Isaiah is speaking to Israel after they're uh, looking forward to a day when they're going to come out of exile, but also looking forward to, again, this idea of the Messiah that's going to come and is going to comfort the people. Isaiah 49, 13 says, Shout for joy, you heavens, earth rejoice, mountains break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn. That's the mission of the Messiah. And one more, as a mother comforts her son, So I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. So this is what what Simeon's waiting for. This is what the people are waiting for. They're waiting for, looking forward to Israel's consolation. Now, who's this going to come through? 
Now, some people would say, oh, this is going to come through a political victory. And if we get the right candidate in place, then it's going to solve all of our problems. Maybe it's going to be a military coup. And if we kick the Romans out and we get the right, the right people in place, then God's comfort is going to come. Maybe it's economic prosperity. Maybe it's just ease of life. See, people in Israel, they were looking for a gift. They were looking for God's comfort. But a lot of them were looking for a gift that was far too small compared to what God had planned, something that was unexpected. This idea of expectations versus reality. But there was a remnant. Simeon was part of that remnant that was looking ahead saying that we don't think the comfort is going to come by human means. It's going to come as a supernatural thing that none of us have any idea what it's going to look like. So Simeon's a righteous man. Simeon is, the, is a devout man. Simeon is looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. When you read the first two chapters of the book of Luke, Holy Spirit's popping up every place. And all these people are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is the fifth time that we have somebody who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, while he's still in the womb, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, his mom, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Mary is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And now we have Simeon, who is also the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know the Holy Spirit would only come for a season. It would only come on certain people. It would come on kings and come on prophets. But here in the first two chapters, we got the Holy Spirit popping up everywhere because there is something new that is taking place. It's a gift that's even better than what they were even expecting. See, for 400 years at the end of your Old Testament and before the stories that happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's called a silent period where these people were saying, where is God? Where's this comfort and this idea of Simeon is one of these men who was looking for that comfort to show up. Let's continue on. Luke 2, 27 through 32. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the, uh, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. I want to go back and look at this phrase of guided by the Spirit. Simeon was so in tune to the Holy Spirit that on that day, at that moment, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go to the temple and you are going to find the Messiah. And Simeon doesn't hesitate. Simeon gets up and goes. And so Simeon goes into the temple courtyards and it's crowded. It's a normal busy day. And Simeon's thinking to himself, well, who is this going to be? Am I going to look for a priest? Am I going to look for a political leader? Am I going to look for somebody who's power? And the Holy Spirit tells Simeon, see that young couple? It's the poor one, the one that couldn't even afford the lamb. And you see that baby? That baby is the Messiah. Oh my goodness. It was a gift I wasn't even expecting. It was a gift that came out of nowhere. And it, 
he takes the baby in his arms and praises God. I see Simeon taking this, this 40-day-old baby and just crying because this is the Savior of the world in his arms. Now, Mary and Joseph, this is 40 days after, after the birth. This is their first outing. And for you who were parents, do you remember your first outing with your kids? And you, were, you had like this bubble wrap and you had everything protected because you're like, no one's going to get near my kid because of germs and all these things. And all of a sudden, they show up, and this stranger comes up out of the blue and picks up their baby and starts crying. <laughs> Mom and Dad freak out a little bit. And we'll see that actually they do freak out a little bit because they're amazed at what is happening. This psalm, this song that Simeon sings. It is called Nuc Dimittis in Latin. If you grew up in a liturgical church, you maybe have heard that before. And that's from the first two words in Latin, which is now dismiss. But you're going to see several different things there here. You're going to see master and servant. Simeon knows that he is a lowly servant and that God is the one that's in control. God is the one who is the master. And Simeon is trusting. And that now that you have the Messiah showing up, Simeon knows that my work is complete. And I can now go in peace because I have now seen the Messiah. My eyes have seen your salvation. See, salvation is not a philosophy. Salvation is not a to-do list. Salvation is a person. Here's Simeon. He picks up this 40-day-year-old baby, tears in his eyes, and he says, I have now seen the salvation of the Lord. I have seen the comfort that I've been looking for, and it's found in this baby named Jesus. And that you have prepared it in the presence of all people. Here's the thing is that this is not a surprise. God has not been working in secret. When, as you're reading through the Old Testament, passage after passage after passage, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, God has been saying all along, there's going to be a Messiah. This is what the Messiah is going to do, and this is what the Messiah is going to look like. Going back to Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 9 and 10. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This was not done in secret. It's real interesting with this last phrase. There's two things. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Now, this is the first time in the book of Luke where the Gentiles are mentioned. And if you were a good Jew reading this, it would have taken you back a little bit. Because the Gentiles are mentioned before the Jews. But this is something that has been going on all along that Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentile nations to show them that the Messiah was going to come. Luke's gospel is known as a gospel to the Gentiles. Luke is writing to an audience that doesn't know Jewish customs, and so a lot of times he's explaining these things. And so to be able to this idea that Gentiles are part of the plan, 
That was something I wasn't even expecting. This universal aspect of salvation was amazing to hear. I love this quote from J. Vernon McGee. And you maybe have heard J. Vernon McGee on the radio with his Through the Bible program commenting on this passage. He says, this is a remarkable statement coming from a man who was limited in his outlook upon life. That is, he was limited to a particular area geographically, yet he saw the one who was to be the Savior of the world. This is, to me, one of the amazing things about the Word of God, especially the New Testament. Although given to a certain people, it is certainly directed to the world. No other religion pointed that way. You will notice that the religions of the world are generally localized for a particular people, generally a race or nation. But Christianity has been from its onset for all people everywhere. We read this in Galatians. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, no male, no female. Since you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. See, most of us in the room, we're not Jews. Yet we get the benefit of salvation through Jesus. And that was an amazing thing. When we look at the end of time and we get to the book of Revelation, John tells us that after I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who's Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This worldwide scope of salvation is a theme all throughout the Gospels, but specifically, particularly you find it in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts, where you see the Gospel going to every nation, every tribe, every people, every language group. See, Israel's mission was to do this. Israel's mission was to be a light to the Gentiles and to tell about the salvation. But what Israel did is Israel had the gift and they kept it to themselves. And they didn't do the task that they were called to do. Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose. And I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. Isaiah 49, 6. There's a lot of Isaiah today because Simeon is pulling out of this richness. It's not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. See, Israel and the, all the blessings that they got, that was not supposed to be an end unto themselves. It was a gift given from God that they were supposed to turn around and give to someone else. But Israel gets something out of this as well. It's this idea of the glory that is going to be revealed when Jesus comes again. See, when we go to this idea of a light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory to the people of Israel. 
Isaiah 45 says, And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 46, 13, I am bringing my justice near. It's not far away, and my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion, in Jerusalem, and my splendor in Israel. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the peoples. But the Lord will shine over you, and His glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to your shining brightness. A light to Gentiles. Because the Gentiles didn't know any better. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have the testimonies. They didn't know these things. And so Jesus was going to come to be the light to the Gentiles to fulfill what the Jewish nation should have been doing all along. But even though the Jewish nation did not fulfill their their part of the deal, they still get glory because Jesus is coming as a Jew. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to reign in Jerusalem. And the nations of the world are going to come to Jerusalem to see God's glory. A light to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. This is the understatement of the entire story. His, Jesus' father and mother, were amazed at what was being said about him. Now again, 40-day-year-old baby, your first outing. You've just taken your kid out of the car seat. And this stranger comes up and picks up your kid and starts crying. And starts saying all these amazing things. Mary and Joseph were blown away. Now, please hear me. Mary and Joseph knew who Jesus was. They knew that He was the Savior. But I wonder two things. One is the immediacy. The minute Jesus leaves the house and goes out to the temple, people are going to start being attracted to Jesus. And the second thing is this worldwide gospel proclamation for this young Jewish couple. It was an amazing thing to hear. What did Mary know? Well, when we read earlier in Luke, when Mary sings her song, He, the Lord, has done a mighty deed with His arm. And He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering His mercy to Abraham and His descendants forever, just as He spoke to our ancestors." Mary and Joseph knew what was going on, yet they were still absolutely amazed because the gift they got was even better than what they were expecting. Savior for the Jews, absolutely. But salvation for the Gentiles and glory for Israel, it was an amazing thing for them to hear. Then Simeon blessed them And told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. Remember, Luke is writing as an investigative reporter. Luke most likely talked to Mary. 
And as Luke is writing down the story, and Mary is relaying this story about Simeon, and Mary says, and you won't believe what Simeon said next. And we have this recorded only in Luke's account. Now, it's addressed to Mary. Joseph, after Jesus turns 12, we never hear from Joseph again. Most likely, Joseph passes away before Jesus' public ministry. And so it's going to be Mary who's going to carry the burden of watching her son, who's coming to save his people, be rejected by his people. This child is destined to cause the rise, the fall and rise of many in Israel and be a sign that will be opposed. This is the first indication that we have in the Gospel of Luke that this road Jesus is going to walk down, it's not going to be an easy road. Fall is this idea of destruction. Rise is this idea of resurrection and to be a sign that will be opposed. People are going to reject Jesus. And they were, when they reject Jesus, they reject the gospel. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is controversial. Jesus has always been controversial, and Jesus is controversial. I love this quote from uh, uh, Jerem Bars. I put it in your notes as well. He says, Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, it comes as a challenge to the heart and the mind of its hearers. The gospel will challenge the mind for it confronts false beliefs with the truth. It will challenge the will for it cuts the core of our existence on turning away from God and going our own way. It will challenge the heart for our hearts are devoted to many masters in place of the one true Lord. Any faithful communication of the gospel must come with this challenge. You see, the question's always about Jesus. And what are you going to do with Jesus? First John 5, 10 through 13. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within him, himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus always forces the decision. Simeon saw it. 40-day-old 40 uh, 40, 40 baby, and he sees it even right there, that this baby is going to be a divider of people. What are you going to do with Jesus? We're going to unpack that just a little bit later on. The final thing, it says, A sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon looks at Mary and says, This is going to be painful for you. It's a broad sword. And Mary, you're going to watch your son suffer. Now, there's going to be joy that's going to come after the resurrection. But Mary is going to watch her son go through all of this for his people. Well, let me introduce you really quickly to our second testimony. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, 
And she was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and with prayers. So Simeon is one of our witnesses, and, and Luke has already established the credibility of Simeon, that he was righteous and devout, he was waiting for Israel's consolation, and that the Holy Spirit rested on him. Now, Anna is our second eyewitness, and he is going to establish the credibility of Anna. And we're going to see just two things very briefly. She was a prophetess. Now, in, Old, in the Old Testament, a prophetess would be someone who had the Holy Spirit residing on them. And so just as Simeon has the Holy Spirit, Anna has the Holy Spirit as well. And she's been a widow for 84 years. Now, the Greek here could mean that she's 84 when she dies, or it could mean that she's 105. But whichever way, for decades, she has been worshiping the Lord in the temple. Simeon has been righteous and devout, waiting for the comfort of Israel, and has had the Holy Spirit resting on him. And Anna, for decades has been worshiping the Lord, waiting for this day to come. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So remember I told you that Simeon, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, at that very moment, Simeon knew that he was supposed to go up to the temple at that specific day and find this specific couple and to see this specific child, and that was going to be the Messiah. And at the very same time, here comes Anna, who is also led by the Holy Spirit, and she too shows up at the same moment. Can you imagine what's going on? Mary and Joseph are already freaking out. Somebody's already picking up their 40-day-year-old, their 40-day baby. And now we've got a strange woman coming up as well. She's 105 years old and she's talking as well. Simeon and Anna were both led by the Holy Spirit, were prompted by the Holy Spirit. What did Anna do? Anna did two things. She thanked God and she told everybody she knew about Jesus. She spoke about him to all who were looking to the redemption of Jerusalem. That redemption of Jerusalem is the same thing as the comfort that Simeon was looking for. So both of them were looking for a Messiah to come. And Anna could not stop telling people about Jesus, that this baby was going to be the comforter that they had been looking for. Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit, moved when the Holy Spirit asked him to move. Anna, led by the Holy Spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit, shows up as well. And both of them have an encounter with Jesus that absolutely changes their life. See, because when you encounter Jesus, Jesus changes lives. So what about you? Now, I want to talk to two populations in here today. One, there's some of you that are sitting here going, I come to church, I hear about Jesus, but I've never come to a point of placing my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. There's no greater gift in 2022 than to come and accept the gift that is being offered to you, a gift that you have to receive. See, the bad news is that we're all sinners and we deserve death. Yet the incredible news 
is that there is a gift that's an unexplainable gift, a gift you didn't even expect. That's salvation. It's a free gift that's offered to you. And all you have to do is accept it. If you're a person and you would love to have a conversation about what that would look like after the service, I'd love to talk with you. We'll have a prayer team as well. They'd love to talk with you. Maybe the person even brought you here today would love to talk with you. Because the comfort you're looking for is found in Jesus. Let me talk to probably the rest of you there in the room. Who's your one person for 2022? I know New Year's resolutions, those types of things. But who's the Lord placing on your heart? Saying, I need to have a conversation with this person this year about Jesus. And I'm going to make this super simple for you. All you got to say is one sentence. The comfort you're looking for is found only in Jesus. That's it. That's all you got to say. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. When you're going to have that conversation with that person, and you say, the comfort you're looking for is found only in Jesus, one of three things is going to happen. Number one, maybe this person already knows Jesus. They're going to, absolutely, I'm, I'm maybe struggling in this walk, but I, 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 Jesus is my Savior, and I'd love to talk with you more about that. That's awesome. The comfort, you, the comfort you're looking for is only found in Jesus. That person might say, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm open to talking more about this. Then you've got a great opportunity to have a conversation with this person this year. Or the third thing, you're going to talk to the person. The comfort you're looking for is only found in Jesus. They're going to go, eh, you've done your job. Your job is just to be a witness. Your job is not to coerce, not to convince people to become a Christian. Your job is to be a testimony. The comfort you're looking for is only found in Jesus. That's what you proclaim. And then you leave the results to the Lord. As the Holy Spirit prompts, the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon, the Holy Spirit prompted Anna, and they acted as the Holy Spirit prompts you. What's your name that you would write down for this year? We're going to have prayer teams going to come up here and three things they can pray for. They can pray for lots of things. But one, you might be that person saying, you know, I want to find out more about Jesus. This comfort, man, I, I, this is something I really would like to have. We would love to have that conversation with you about what that would look like and what the first steps would be. For some of you, you might argue the Lord's already been prompting that one name that you want to write, and you want to share it with one other person saying, hey, I want you to pray for me this year that I have an opportunity to share that the comfort that this person is looking for is only found in Jesus. Man, we'd love to pray with you for that. Or it's a new year. There's a lot of stuff going on. And we would love to pray with you with whatever you're wrestling with with this new year. So we'll have prayer team up here in just a moment. Before our benediction... This will be our exit song as well. Love this old hymn from Charles Wesley. Now, you maybe know one of Charles Wesley's other hymns, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But this is another one of his songs that he wrote. And while we associate it with Christmas, it's not really a Christmas hymn. Charles Wesley was looking at the world around him in England at the time and looking at orphans, looking at economic disparity. And he was just disgusted by the world and saying, Jesus, come back and fix this. And he was looking forward, looking backwards to the first coming of Jesus, but actually looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. And you're going to find the same themes in this hymn that you heard from Simeon.
today. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation. Joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thy own eternal spirit, rule in our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. May you live in the confidence of the comfort of the Lord in this new year. You're dismissed.